Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Welcome to Encounter Grace. My name is Ben Hendricks. This is Jason McKnight. And today we're going to talk about a really fun subject about how grace is more than what you say at lunch. Ooh. I know, right? And I, w- I think we often get kind of stuck in this idea that, uh, kind of these two perspectives, that grace is uh, really just, just a word or just something mm-hmm. that you say often right before you eat yep. or right before you go to bed. It, it's, just, it's just something you say. Or and I'm the, kind of like a hobbit, so I'm doing that eight times a day. <laughs> going to sleep or both, right? Uh, or on the other side, it's just an ideal. It's just something that Jesus showed. Mm. It's just something Jesus did. You notice all of these are just. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. just this. And because he did, we don't have to. Hmm. But I think what we're going to look at today is how grace is just often a part of who God is, but also a part of our lives. And so yeah. I've got Jason yeah. McKnight here who's going to walk us through that. But first, let's, I mean, just for I think anyone listening, what, what, are, what are some examples that we can think of of how we see grace, I think, today for a lot of us in our lives? Like the first mm-hmm. one that comes to mind uh, for me is, I mean, I, I don't know if many people even do magazines anymore, but I remember <laughs> growing up, we do magazine subscriptions what you're say. and you get like the first three months free when you would sign up, you would get the grace period. Mm-hmm. And it's not something you deserve, but they give it to you because you haven't paid for it, but they give it to you. What, what else? Yeah, you know, or it's like, you know, uh, you come home when you're a teenager, you come home uh, for the 10th night in a row, way past curfew. And your dad, who's waiting up for you, instead of punching you in the face or something, he says, I love you, son. Mm. That's just grace because you don't deserve that. You're right. I often think of, uh, and we, we, we'll have this, I, I think we see, we see stories of this with all the business people in our own church, of uh, the, the workers, at the, whether it's a fa- uh, the factory or you know, wherever they work, when the owners will decide that they're going to take just a piece of their own profit out of what they've made for the year and actually give that to the employees. It's something that the employees don't necessarily deserve. I mean, they've gotten mm. their, their, they've gotten their payment that they, they've gotten their monthly stipends or whatever that their is, wages. their wages that, and yeah, really it's the, the owner is just out of grace, giving them something extra. I mean, it's mm. just simply an act of grace. Yeah. I can tell you, you know, uh, grace from my wife. I don't know if you're married, you get grace from your spouse all the time. Why? Because we <laughs> fail them all the time and they don't deserve divorce us all the time. So this idea of, you know, when we do something wrong, really wrong, and, you know, I have to go and apologize to my wife and what she does, she doesn't necessarily like make me live in the doghouse. That's the big joke. <laughs> but instead, she embraces me and she says, I forgive you. And she sees me for the broken man that I am, which is why I did the wrong thing in the first place. And mm. she kind of showers with love and goodwill. That's grace. Man, that one doesn't, it doesn't hit close to home for me, but I'm sure it does for, <laughs> yeah. for some of us. About every day uh, and a half for me. So, so let's talk grace today. What, what would you say grace is? Well, when I take big concepts like this, and we've kind of been dancing around it, when I do that, I like to start small and maybe define it even a little smaller than it should be or more just in a different way than we're used to and then build out from there. So I think you could maybe define grace in its simplest terms as receiving good and goodwill when you absolutely don't deserve it. Hmm. Receiving good and goodwill 
when you absolutely don't deserve it. So the loving dad with the past curfew son or the windfall splitting of the profits at the business, you know, the wages have been paid, but the owner is going to give some, or the loving embrace of a spouse. Each of these is grace. That is, each of them is, I receive good or goodwill, though I don't deserve it. So I, I kind of see something like, so like kind of two things in there. So specifically human grace. And it, as I, as I try to really think through that and just even your own illustrations there is, You've kind of walked us through it already. Human grace, it, there seems to be something deeper there. Like it's a part of, mm. I, I mean, I would say God's grace. That, no. So how do you, how do you yeah. see Scripture then defining or re, I think revealing God's grace? You know, every page. Okay. <laughs> every page yeah. of Scripture reveals God's grace. But let me give you it in two ways. And, and these are super helpful. On the one hand, Scripture reveals grace as the heart of God's character. Scripture reveals grace is the heart of God's character. So this thing called grace, good and goodwill towards the undeserving, this is the center of who God is. And let me give you a couple of glimpses in Scripture, two of them to be specific, one long one and then a really short one afterwards. But, you know, the book of Exodus, when God delivers his people out of, uh, his people Israel out of Egypt, they're in slavery and he reaches out and brings them out. Mm. And he's revealed himself to them in power and in plagues and splitting the Red Sea. And it's this unbelievable display. And they get to Mount Sinai and God reveals himself to them even more. And he shows them his law and his way to live. And, all, and I'm going to make you my people. I've already brought you out. And now I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to charter you. So all this wonderful activity of God. Moses is doing it all. Moses then is up on the mountain, you know, 40 days and um, the people at the base of the mountain lose heart. And they're like, where's Moses? Where's God? What's going on? Of course, they see all the fire up there and they, you know, maybe Moses is burnt or something, but he's up there. And so the people fashion a golden calf and they say, hey, these are the gods from Egypt. These are the gods that brought you up. And it was blasphemous. I mean, they absolutely turfed the real God who destroyed Egypt and they said, hey, these are the gods we knew in Egypt, and so let's make one here. And this is who. They're disowning the only one who brought them out of Egypt. So God has every right to destroy them. And he says to Moses, I'll destroy them, but I'll carry on my promise to Abraham through you, Moses. Wow. I mean, that'd be kind of fun. That's, yeah, come on. But actually, Moses, in one of the greatest prayer chapters in the Bible, so that's for another podcast, <laughs> uh, Exodus 32, 33, uh, in one of the greatest prayer ones, um, Moses says, uh, Lord, don't destroy them. Go with us. God changes them up. Uh, God, God actually uh, forgives there. And then Moses, and, and that's unbelievable. He forgives the people's sin. But here's where we're getting to. Then Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. At the, in, the, in chapter 33, he says, okay, we've done all this, and, and God's promised to go with them. And now he says, Show me your glory. Wait a minute. You didn't see the glory in the 10 plagues and the death in every house in Egypt from the firstborn. You didn't see the glory in the Red Sea being parted. Nobody's ever heard of that before. It's so funny. You, just to interrupt you, I mean, just really quick, like even as good as this is, just how quickly it is to just miss God's glory in that. Like, gosh. Well, it's crazy. And so there he is on the mountain. And, and I think maybe he didn't miss it, but maybe he's like, there's got to be more. Oh, okay, it's more yeah. than that power. Yeah, and it's more than power, and it's more than all that. 
And, and God, he says, I know there's something more to you. Mm. Now show me your glory. And he's gotten this taste of it because God just forgave the people. Mm. And so what happens? It's not power. It's not signs. It's not splitting the Red Sea. Moses, as, as C.S. Lewis says at the end of Narnia, goes higher up and deeper in, mm. into the character of who God is. And God grants the requests. And, and Moses stands on the mountain, and God comes down and stands in front of him. And God speaks his own name. And what he says, so this is Exodus 34, 6 and 7, says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So this God who's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, filled with steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, and forgiving sin. This is who God's character is. That's who he is. Now, what I notice about that, a God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, forgiving, steadfast love, faithfulness. You know what I notice? It's all relational. Hmm. God's heart is relational, but it's also our definition of grace. It's good and goodwill to the undeserving. Like, why do you need to be slow to anger? Well, because someone's making you angry. Why do you need to be merciful? Well, because someone doesn't deserve your goodwill. Why gracious? Why filled with steadfast love? Why forgive? So all these words are pointing to the fact that the heart of God's character, Lord, show me your glory. Show me the center of who you are. It's grace. It's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love in this hesed love. Um, forgiving forever. So it seems to me that grace is the heart of God's character. Now that's from the Old Testament book of Exodus. You can see this, uh, this description of who God is at least a dozen times through the rest of the Old Testament, as if the other writers say, hey, we're going to use this, you know, by the inspiration of the Spirit, in the Psalms and in Jonah and in some of the prophets, because that's who God is. He's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The second verse, and this is super fast, because now that we've done all that work, now actually in the New Testament, when John starts writing the gospel, uh, you know, John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and he's filled with grace and truth, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so John says, hey, I'm going to show you who Jesus is, but when you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at grace epitomized and truth personified. And that's what yeah. he says. And so when we see all the stories in the Gospel of John, turning water into wine, meeting the Samaritan woman, the woman caught in adultery, and he says, go and sin no more. Or the anointing, when Mary anoints his feet with oil just before the burial, and Jesus doesn't condemn her, but, but, um, but blesses her in that. And he raises Lazarus. He heals the layman. All of these are examples of God's grace, God's character in action. Because Jesus just seems like he's, he's grace personified. He is. I, I can't help. Guys, you'll have to forgive me for this, but I, I, I remember a long time ago, someone once told me, you know, Jesus, Jesus is kind of like God with a bod, right? Or God, in, or maybe it's God in a bod. Maybe that one's better. Uh, and so the incarnation just kind of seems to be grace with a face. I mean, that's... There you go. Like the, the, <laughs> you go. Forgive me, y'all. Uh, Man. <laughs> nice. Grace with a face, man. That that'll be the that'll be the next book. I think you should write that book. Yeah, uh, I'm maybe I'll pass that one on to somebody else. <laughs> okay, so Scripture reveals grace 
as the heart of God's character. Yeah. What else? Well, it's not just the heart of his character. It's the heart of his posture towards his people. So Mm. that's the other thing. Scripture reveals grace actually is the way he deals with us. And this one's really fun. I don't know. You know, there's some parts of Scripture that are a lot of fun to dwell in. You know, not Mm. so much the mildew restrictions (laughs) in Leviticus. Like I could skip right over that in the family tree in 1 Chronicles. But I tell you what, Genesis 1... Genesis 2, Genesis 3, these are fun chapters. And in chapter 1, God's this awesome creator, sovereign over all. Chapter 2, he's laying everything out. He creates the man, he creates Eden, he gives Adam a mandate in Eden. He sees Adam's alone, so he remedies that. And then he brings marriage. He, you know, he creates Eve, and then he brings marriage. Like All these hands-on governing of human affairs God does in chapter 2. He's just this providential, involved God. So chapter one, sovereign God, creative. Chapter two, providential God, involved. What happens? What do we see about God when we get to chapter three? You know, where the serpent and then sin and eating the forbidden fruit and all that kind of stuff and the interaction with God. Do you know what I think we see about God there? I think we see grace. I think Genesis chapter three reveals how God deals with us in grace. And we can talk all we want about what's the nature of sin and all that kind of stuff. But really, if you want to learn about God, well, he's gentle to us in our sin because he questions Adam and Eve. He doesn't just come to... Everybody knows what happened. God knows what happened. He didn't have to ask those questions. Yeah, right. Who told you you were naked? You know, where are you? Like, you know, who gave you the fruit? God knows all this stuff, but he's gentle with mm. us so that the record is clear. You know, he's faithful to his word. Like they died when they ate of the fruit, like he said they would in chapter 2. So he's faithful to his word. Truth matters. It's grace and truth. Yeah. But what's he going to do with that death? And here's where you see the grace all over the place. Right away, he promises a redeemer. There's a woman, uh, uh, from the woman, from Eve, there's a coming son of Eve that's going to crush the serpent's head. That promise on the day of sin, that to me is grace, good and goodwill toward the undeserving. I mean, that's grace. And then at the end of the chapter, he makes clothes for them. Like they had the little loincloths. Wasn't that enough? Look, you made your bed. Now lie in it, God could have said. But he said, no, look, I'll give you stuff that's a little sturdier for the storms you're going to face. And so animal clothes. Yeah, it often seems just like in our storybook Bible. I mean, we, like we can kind of jump over that. Like just this real practical way that God shows his grace. It's it reveals gracious. a piece of who he is to them. Yeah. Especially right after the judgment. Like what exactly. an important thing. Right there. It's compassion all over the place. It's yeah. God's promise of a deliverer, his compassion with the clothes. I mean, he just loves it. But I tell you what, even I think we almost all of us actually learned the ending of chapter three wrong. Hmm. Where the punishment for the fruit was banishment from Eden. That's not in the Bible. And that's a little provocative. Maybe oh, no. you're all, if you're driving and you're listening to this, you might like be in the ditch by now. But seriously, <laughs> you read what it says there, and it's not punishment. What God does there is protection. He's protecting them now that they're dead in their sins. What God does, and he muses to himself at the end of Genesis 3, he says, wait a minute, they're no longer innocent. Now they're like us, God, knowing good from evil. Now they're separated from us because they're in sin. If they reach out and take from the tree of life, they're going to live forever in this state of separation. And the very last verse of chapter three is God set a cherubim guarding the way to the tree of life. Nothing about the beauties of Eden. It's guarding the way to the tree of life. He doesn't want them. He protects them in their sin from an eternal outcome 
To me, that's grace. <laughs> I mean, that is grace. So God, his whole posture towards us is grace. We receive this good and goodwill from God, and we absolutely don't deserve it. That's just so incredible to me. It's just what great news I think all of this is. I mean, so we have so kind of this first idea that grace is a part of God's character. And then secondly, it's his posture towards his people. So it's part of his character and it's his posture towards the people. Like we, I think we so, we may know those things, but I think so often we kind of jump past that yeah. too quickly and we lose sight of the incredible news. Like that's gospel worthy news there. That's all it is. And the, I think we just need to take a moment to listen to that, to hear that, that grace isn't just a one-off of who God is or his character. Like it's his actual character. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and that when he reveals that to us, he's revealing a piece of himself and he's making himself known to his creation. That's incredible. Like what great news that is. Okay. So then the question is, why is that so, so great news? What does that mean for us? What do we do with it? Yeah, let me let me give us two because we're sort of running out of time here. But let me let me do this in two directions. Number one, God to us, and then number two, us to others. And mm. God to us, it's just to sort of go one step farther. You know, on the one hand, grace in Christ is there for us to receive. But actually, you can even unpack it more. It's God's grace that saves, and it's God's grace that sustains. And you could even say God God's grace that surprises. So his grace that saves, we all know that. Yeah, we're saved from sin and doom and death all because of Christ. And, you know, you see Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved. Okay, we get that. And we thank God for it. But grace says that sustains, that carries us through every valley, every turmoil, every danger, every disaster. You know, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what's the next line? You are with me. I mean, that's God's grace that sustains us. Or uh, Paul with the thorn in the flesh. He said, you know, he prays to God and God says, well, my grace is sufficient for you. I won't take the thorn away. I'll be with you in it. And that's sustaining grace. And, and we can count on that and we need to. So grace that saves, we count on. Grace that sustains, we rejoice in and count on. But I also think grace that surprises. Because if we're not laughing if we belong to Jesus and we're not laughing, we probably have missed grace a little bit. I think God loves to surprise his people in this deep thing. I mean, even just think of Jesus, water into wine. Nobody was going to go thirsty that day. Nobody was going to die because the wine ran out. But God said, it's time to prolong the celebration. Or the feeding of the 5,000. You can go a day without food. But God just says, look, in Jesus, he says, look, let's have a surprise dinner. And grace that surprises, start watching for that because he's doing that all the time. God delights in bringing joy to his children and providing gifts that we don't expect. Never a lucky rabbit's foot, never prosperity gospel, that's garbage. But the joy of a dad, a father, loving his kids. Grace that saves, grace that sustains, grace that surprises. I love it. I mean, it's just kind of fun. So encouraging just to hear it. I mean, just, and just something that simple, those three things. So that's really from the, that's looking at grace from the perspective of God, uh, to us. So this, yeah, God specifically to us, grace that saves, sustains, and then surprises. So how about us to others? Because we have to apply that, that character. I mean, that what we're getting from God, how do we apply that in our lives? How about us to others? How can we then just live grace? So the first thing, okay, and, and two quick things, and then, and then I got a story for us if we have time. But, but first is this, um, if I'm going to show grace to others, it means I've been wronged. Mm. 
And I got to be ready for that. Get ready to feel the injustice. Because don't you want revenge when you've been wrong? Always. Yep. <laughs> I mean, always. You want to be vindicated. You want to come out on top. You want to show them why they're bad. And, you know, this is why I, I almost never comment on Facebook. Because this I would you brought me here for this crazy. one? Yeah, yeah. Counseling? But, you know, how can I let them off scot-free? They did this to me. This was terrible. They totally, you know, ripped me up. Whatever it was. Grace is a harder road than holding grudges. Hmm. In the short term. It's harder to lean into grace in the short term, but in the long term, it's the road to freedom. So get ready to absorb a lot of wrong that you don't get justice for. But then you're becoming like God, like Christ, who absorbed the wrong. And it was the most unjust thing that ever happened, Christ on the cross. Okay. Second thought is there's grace for guilt and there's also grace for shame. And I think we always think in terms of guilt, and it would be helpful to add in this idea that there's grace for shame. So we think in terms of forgiveness for the wrong done and the sin incurred, but God's grace to us also addresses us at the identity level, not only at the action level. And we are sinners, but we're shameful sinners, or we Mm -hmm. carry around shame. There's this massive honor deficit in our lives And I think people live with a sense that they haven't lived up to some standard, whether it's an internal standard they set or an external standard others have, or that they're not clean or they're not good or they're not pure, or that they have no worth or they have no value. People are walking around with this. These are all shame terms. It's so debilitating. It is so debilitating. I've seen that with our students. I've seen that with parents. I've seen that in myself. Just the debilitating nature of what shame can do. And actually, if we only ever speak of grace in terms of forgiveness... Someone carrying around shame can actually feel even worse and be farther away from reality. Because we'll see, again, I've done so much wrong and this is how bad I am. But actually God's reality is unmerited acceptance. So grace for shame. The language of grace is not just forgiveness, it's also acceptance. Acceptance by a loving God. Now, it is true We are worse than we can know. (laughs) Like, there's no doubt about it. And this is not some pop psychology or, you know, self-help kind of stuff. No, we really are. And we should be ashamed. But God is better than we can ever imagine. Mm. And he's just holding out not only grace for guilt, but also grace for the shame that so many of us carry. And so I think that's a helpful thing to introduce here. Like, as a parent, when your son or daughter has done something wrong, you can address the issue, but let them know there's no shame. There's wrong, but they still you still love them and they're still part of it. You know, you lied. It's a lot different than saying you're a liar. Like that's a shaming technique. Yep. And so even even on a on a simple level, um, to say, yeah, you know, Lord, how can I bring grace into their shame? Your unmerited acceptance, just like your unmerited forgiveness for their guilt and for mine too. John Forrester. Uh, a pastor in Toronto writes eloquently about this in his simple little book, Grace for Shame. Great title, isn't it? It is. <laughs> all right, so here's a story. Uh, just kind of putting this all sort of what we see. Several years ago at Grace here at church, um, an older gentleman started attending, and he came with a guy who was always ministering to and with addicts. And so as I saw him, I figured correctly that he was a recovering addict, and so we welcomed him. And pretty quickly, somebody else told me the backstory uh, that the man had gotten out of prison and the sentence he served was because he had sexually abused children and boys. 
And this got real and fast. <laughs> because wait a minute, the church is a place of grace and welcoming. It's also a sheepfold for the sheep. And here's, you know, the guy is an older man now and he served his time, but you know, wait a minute, hang on and wait a minute. You know, you're just like yeah. all those things you don't want to think or say. So a few of us discreetly made sure that he was always with one of us, never alone, certainly never in the bathroom alone, never in the kids' hall, all that kind of stuff. He didn't drive, so he was always with someone to get to church, and that person knew they were acting as a guardian. And, um, you know, church is a place of healing, saving grace. Uh, we weren't going to write him off, but showing grace doesn't mean being naive. Mm. And so we were on, a lot, on alert, and we were careful. I think but, that's important what you just said, though, too, right? Yeah. Because we can get so caught up in showing grace and wanting to because God calls us to that, but it doesn't mean being naive. Yeah, it absolutely doesn't. Sorry, go on. No, no, no. It's so true though. I mean, we can never, you know, but we got to make appropriate space for God's work and for who God brings us. But yeah, we're That's not helpful, naive. Man. We're not naive. So a few weeks after that, so he's here, you know, a month or two, a man uh, my age, maybe just a little younger, made an appointment with me. And I have his permission to tell this story. Uh, he made an appointment with me, and he, he referenced in, in my office as we were talking, he referenced that new gentleman uh, that was there. And um, he said that he was one of the kids that guy had abused back 25 mm -hmm. years ago. And it was horrible. And he just, you know, he just described, and, and, and it sent him, this guy my age, into a tailspin of addiction and of shame and of fear affected his family, his wife, you know, all sorts of things for decades. Well, what was the situation that had been real already <laughs> now got really real? Is God's church a place for grace? What does grace look like? What do we do in this situation? When the perpetrator is there and the victim is there, how does each take communion? Well, the guy my age he said, yeah, I've forgiven him. I've made peace in my heart with him, but I've never had a chance to confront him or to see him or to tell him that. And I knew we needed to get them in the same room, both so that he could say how much it hurt, but also that he's forgiven. Hmm. And that's what they needed to do. Honestly, because you can't just sweep it under the rug. Grace never sweeps anything under the rug. You know, you, well, you yeah. have to name the wrong in order to dispose of it. You, you've got to have something on the table to be able to forgive. So being specific, right? Yeah, yeah. so here we go. So <laughs> several folks, I mean, a, a small group, but several elders and uh, staff members were praying. Four of us got together, the, the older gentleman and the guy that brought him, who was a, a strong guy, and then this younger guy my age and me, and the four of us were together in the same room uh, one spring afternoon. And as my friend started confronting his abuser and facing him and, and began to tell him just what happened, his, tears began, his eyes began to tear up and they, they began to well up and he began to cry. And instead of telling the older man how hard his life had been, and he related this to me later after the fact as we were, as we were talking about it, he said this, when those tears started, I felt a warmth toward this abuser that I'd never felt before. And I knew that God wanted that yeah. man to know that he was welcome at this church. <laughs> and this friend forgave him and invited him and welcomed him. And it was the most powerful demonstration of grace that I've been involved with in a long time. Grace for the guilt and grace for the shame. 
And it was just beautiful. Man, what a story. But that's God's grace. I mean, it's not just a story. It's God's grace when God changes Gosh. lives. And I think that's why it's so powerful, just because it's a great, I mean, just a picture of who God is and his character. And yeah, and just, I think it's a reminder that, it's a reminder of a couple of things as I think about it, just that grace is hard. Yeah. It also doesn't always lead to happy endings. This guy. Well, actually, you know, the saddest part was the older man left. Yeah. He, very quickly, he left. He didn't want to be known. He couldn't handle the shame of being mm. known. And we, we tried to sort of say, no, this is a safe place. And he, he, he wouldn't. And it, it's too bad because the forgiveness was there and the release of shame was there if, if he could just trust in the Lord and trust yeah. in him. But what a great story. Love just, him anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Just what a great story, or just story and picture of, again, who God is and his, that grace is his posture and his character. And that it's the, the way that it's, it's what he shows to his people. I mean, of yeah, all the ways yeah. that he could act and talk and speak, I mean, speak and, and just the things that he could do for his people and show his people like grace is that, like he's mm-hmm. exemplifying that he's leading that. And because that's true, he's called us to do it as well. So grace, grace is. Guys, as, as we're listening, as we're talking about this, I think we just need the reminder that grace is receiving good and goodwill, even though we are undeserving. So it's yeah. receiving good and goodwill, even though we're undeserving. It's God's character and it's God's posture hmm. towards us. Like that matters. It's our lives towards others. And the only thing that I think, Jason, that will ultimately just change the world. Like we need more (laughs) grace. We need to be showing more grace and living lives that are just marked by grace. I think grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Mm, That's good. It's the story of who God is. It's the story of the gospel. It's what we need more of. Guys, thank you so much for joining today here on Encounter Grace. If you like it, share this and then come on back. My name is Ben Hendricks. This is Jason McKnight, and we'll see you next time. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.